This is Peter. And this is Tom. And you're listening to History Teachers Talking Podcasts. All right, this is Peter Zablocki and Thomas Fresca, and welcome back to our podcast. Tommy, what do we got today? Yes, well, we are back, like you said. Welcome back. And uh, what today we're going to be looking at is um, the precursor to the United Nations, which you're hearing in the news quite a bit recently. So we're going to be looking at the uh, rise and the fall of the League of Nations, Yep. which was basically an international um, diplomatic group developed like a little bit after World War One as a way to basically solve disputes, very similar to the United Nations of today. And it was a precursor, like we said, to the United Nations. It had some success, mixed record of success, but it really put a lot of its um, self-interest before becoming like, involved with conflict resolution, which kind of led to its problems. It had to contend with also governments and that didn't recognize its authority, largely ceased operations during World War II, but I didn't. it did last until 1946, technically. Um, yep. But really, the big reason where we'll talk about why it failed was one, one of the big reasons was that the United States did not join, join it. We did not join. Yeah. We'll talk about that, why we didn't join it. It really was Woodrow Wilson, who was the president of the U.S. at the time, really was the uh, driving force of getting it created, but then we don't join. The Senate refuses to ratify the treaty. Which is something we want to talk about as well. And we're not trying to be like, you know, like U.S. centric here, like, oh, it didn't work out because of the U.S. No, it actually like that's that's the consensus around the world is that it failed because of the fact that the United States and its military might at the time did not join to really give it credibility, but also especially, give it the yeah. military, military might that was needed. Especially, yeah, especially after World War One. Especially after World War I, I, How I used to compare it to my students, and I know you might laugh, and again, it's going to sound very like USA, USA, but like... You, well, you always sound USA, USA. Yeah, well, what are you going to do? Hey, look, look what happened, right? The US just got knocked out of the World Cup, right? It happens. Hey. It's, it's soccer. <laughs> so be it. And what do we debut the very next day? A, a brand new stealth bomber. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, we didn't win the World Cup, but look what we have instead. So that's, that kind of gives you a little bit of uh, where our um, priorities lie. Our priorities lie. Not so much we're kicking a ball into a goal, but look what all we right, have. Stop knocking anyway, the World Cup, bro. That's like a big deal. I'm not knocking the World Cup. I, I, I'm, I'm all for it. My students were excited for it. It was really, it's been really fun trying to get lessons done. Where all they want to do is watch the World Cup on their phones and stuff like that. That's awesome. true. So you, you got to just uh, give up and once in a while let them watch a little bit, you know. Uh, that's right. They're, they survive. They'll survive. But anyway, to get back to the League of Nations, because of leagues and name always may remember, basically I compared it to imagine the Justice League, right? Without mm-hmm. Superman. Without yep. without Superman. It's like, yeah, they, they're going to have some power. They're going to have something, but they're kind of missing a very important important member. Okay, And even though we're not the biggest military power, after World War One, we kind of are. All right? yeah. it, it, fades. Yeah. it fades with isolationism, and I think not joining the League of Nations is a reason why we kind of fade down and we're unprepared for a lot of the stuff that then leads into World War II. But that's a whole other podcast, a whole other story that you can make the argument there. So that we, maybe if the United States joins the League of Nations, World War II doesn't happen as we know it. Maybe the U.S. doesn't go into isolationism as much as it did after um, the First World War. So there's a lot of what-ifs there yeah. also in history when it comes to the League of Nations. Yep. And also the League of Nations, the issue of League of Nations is that in order for anything to be decided upon and need a majority of the of the people and the members or the 58 members to actually agree upon something um, and getting 58 members to agree upon anything. These are 58 various countries is in yeah. itself, I think, kind of ridiculous. It wasn't going to work. Yeah. yeah. And also, not only did the United States not join, but a lot of countries quit. I mean, Japan, Italy, Germany, Spain, they all quit. 
and kind of it's a precursor to the rise of dictatorships throughout the 1930s. Because I think that the idea of the League of Nations, which, like you said, was founded on January 10th, 1920 um, at the Paris Peace Conference, the idea of it kind of was working for 10 years, I would say. And by working, I mean, it didn't hurt anything. You know, it, it was there. And the idea of maintaining world peace was legit. It's the 1930s that hit into play, and that's when you really see it crumble and fall apart. Because it does have some successes at the beginning, which we will talk about. However, it is mostly known that during its 26-year existence, it basically failed. And therefore, you know, it was replaced by the United Nations in 1946, which learned from the mistakes that were made in the yeah. League Well, yeah, it had, a, it had to fail because World War II happens. Like, the, you can't yeah. say that a peace organization succeeds if the greatest military conflict <laughs> happened you know during its watch yeah. but like you know, it really i think one of the things that i learned from reading this that really prevented the league of nations from maybe getting past the united states was that um wilson got sick right so what's going on is he's he wants to push this and there's a republican congressman um henry cabot lodge that's really going against the treaty because he he believed that um the league undercut the u.s um autonomy in um international matters so Wilson took on this 27-day train journey to, to sell the treaty to the, to the country, right? But he had a couple of his tour from his exhaustion. Then he winds up getting sick and he winds up having a stroke. And then Congress never ratifies a treaty and the U.S. refused to take part in the League of Nations. And it's really when isolationists really started to get a hold in Congress because they feared it would draw the United States into another war. And at this time in the country, a lot of people would feel like maybe we shouldn't have even been involved in World War I. Like a lot of like the truths of World War One were starting to come out. So in other countries, though, particularly in Europe, it was a really popular idea because they saw firsthand like the brutality of World War One. We didn't really see it here in the United States. We heard about it, just pictures, but it's not like now with like social media and like you can view view what was going on. Like the US was pretty much unscathed on the home front from World War One. They didn't see it as as much as what Europe saw. Europe was rebuilding. So a lot of leaders like the French, the, uh, the Swedish um, Belgium, Greece, Czechoslovakia, a lot of these smaller nations, they all responded in signing up for this League of Nations at the Paris Peace Conference. Yep. So let's let's kind of get into the the idea here of where does it come from? And you did definitely allude to it right now with, with Woodrow Wilson, but let's kind of get into like the origins of it. And um, and after that, we'll, we'll talk a lot about so it was in existence, what it did that was successful because there was some successes and ultimately what led to its failure. The League of Nations in itself, as this idea, stems from Woodrow Wilson's 14 points. So, Yeah, it was all it, built on the 14 points, yeah. Yes. So the 14 points, just a quick thing. You know, the United States enters World War I a bit a little late. We enter about two years into the war. But we do help win World War I, and therefore Woodrow Wilson and the United States are actually present at the very famous Treaty of Versailles, uh, the Paris Peace Conference. We're there as, for the first time, a big major power a world power that's trying to also incorporate some of our ideas. And it just so happens that the guy leading our country at that time is an idealist. He presented Woodrow Wilson at this Paris Peace Conference, these 14 points. And the 14 points were basically his version of how to go about creating world peace. And some of these 14 points uh, looked at causes of war, like what causes war, and he lists things that should be done to prevent that war from happening. Yeah. Most of it dealt with like free trade and freedom of the seas and everyone being nice to each other. Uh, some of the other points dealt with 
this idea of having nations choose their own borders, right? Yeah, and, and to respect and, each other's borders. And, and all these discussions should be conducted in the open. Yep. And that self-determination was a really big deal, which is something that sounds simple today, but back then, and I guess even parts today, it's not, I mean, look what's going on in uh, Ukraine. With Ukraine, yeah. So yeah. like self-determination and your borders is always going to be disputes where they're trying to solve them peacefully is yeah. basically what's what's going on here. That's what Wilson is pushing for. Sorry and then, for and then the last, no, no, of course. But in the last, you know, the big piece here is the famous, all right, and also we should create this international body that will basically mediate any world dispute before it turns into a military conflict, cooler heads would prevail and we could discuss this in an yeah. open forum. And this is what he proposes. He actually calls it, I, you know, the League of Nations. And this um, is like his baby, like you're talking about, because he's looking back at looking back at the causes of World War One, and they kind of seem like, remember, this was a small dispute, right, in Serbia. And here it goes, erupts into this massive conflict that was like the worst the world's ever seen. We could, it could have been prevented. That's what Wilson is saying. So let's, let's prevent something like this from spiraling out of control again, where they can kind of like talk ahead of time. That's what basically is going on with this League of Nations. You're going to have this general assembly, right, which include delegations from member states. Mm -hmm. um, similar to United, United, US, uh, the United Nations, where they're going to have yep. that permanent, um, permanent executive council, right? The, it, yep. Four permanent members, and they rotated another four. The first ones were Great Britain, France. Japan and Italy. At its largest, it had 58 members, which is not really that big. Yeah, in uh, comparison to you know the U UN right the UN now. stuff comes, but um, the Soviet Union does join in 1934, but they get kicked out five years later when they invade Finland. Yep, yep. We'll get we'll get into that. We'll get there. Yeah, just uh, just just for comparison reasons, uh, United Nations has 193 members. Uh, and the League of Nations, which is often you know called the first United Nations, only barely had 58. So. There's something to it. But uh, so, you know, you already mentioned this idea that Woodrow Wilson comes up with this and Woodrow Wilson really wants the United States to join the League of Nations. And he brings it. He brings the Treaty of Versailles along with the League of Nations for ratification because president has the right to make treaties, according to our Constitution, yes. uh, has the right to make international treaties. However, our Constitution also stipulates that he could only do so if he consults. Right the United States Congress. So when he Senate comes, has to ratify. Senate has to ratify it. So when he comes back, the Senate, as you mentioned, is you know, it's not that they're they're to totally against it, but there's one particular thing in the League of Nations yes. that they don't yes. like, and that's Article Ten. Article and this, Ten. And this particular article states that if any of the nations in the world do something that goes against world peace and they threaten the peace of other nations, the United Nations has or should have the power to collectively grant their armies, because there is no army of the United Nations, right? Yeah. So all the member nations. The League of nations, nations, League of Nations. Yeah. So there's these League of Nations. Yeah. So these other members of the League of Nations will grant their armies to go and quell or suppress this terror or whatever aggression from this bad country, which basically will allow the League of Nations to use America's military. And Senate is like, wait a second, you can't do that. Only Congress can essentially declare war and send the U.S. military to fight in foreign conflicts. And if we agree to the League of Nations, we are inadvertently agreeing to the fact that we could use American military in foreign conflicts. Yeah, that they were afraid of. Exactly. With a decision that is not made by the United States. It is yeah. made now, by this the is before like the War Powers Act and a lot of the other yeah, yeah, things yeah. that really That's make the executive 20s. branch much more powerful. 
like what you see during the New Deal and stuff. Because yeah. technically, if it was today's presidency, the president could use what's called an, um, an executive agreement to possibly yeah. ratify this treaty on his own. So what presidents did, it's like that version of an executive order, which how constitutional are they? That's still something that's debated. But that logically, um, using by today's executive power standards, Wilson probably could have forced this to happen if he really wanted to. Yeah. But in the 1920s and 30s, that still was something that's going to happen. And they were just afraid of Article Article 10. It was basically yeah. a, um, again, Henry, Cab- Henry Cabot Lodge is the one that's really pushing this. And maybe he could have rallied American people's support, but when Wilson has that stroke, that's it. That's the death yeah. of the of the Treaty of Versailles and the um, League of Nations for the United States. It's just not going to happen. Yep. Not to mention that he has the stroke because he's literally, like you said earlier, he gets Push on himself. this national tour and he's just like, well, I need to sell this to the American people. And it's just not doing it for him. So the league is created. Uh, it is created without us. Um, it begins its organizational work in the fall of 1919. Um, the first 10 months are actually it's headquartered in London before it moves officially to G- Geneva. And the covenant, you know, the first structure of the League of Nations go into, goes into effect on January 10th, 1920, formally um, instituting the League of Nations. Uh, initially, by 1920, there was 48 countries that had joined the League of Nations. This is, this is the beginning. Right. Yeah, so they're, they're doing their thing, right? And right away, they're kind of really struggling for their um, for an opportunity to assert its authority. Because if you didn't join the League of Nations, when I say you, I mean these countries, it wasn't really respected. Like no one respected this League of Nations if they didn't join it. That's why they didn't, they didn't join it. So a lot of people are saying, listen, you know, the failure is likely to damage this organization. So we have to like insulate itself into any um, just dispute. And one of them that popped up was uh, Russia, which was not a member of the League at the time, attacked a port in Persia in 1920. And Persia says, you know, help us to the League of Nations. But the League refused to take part because they said, well, Russia doesn't acknowledge our jurisdiction. So it's just going to damage our, the League's authority. So we're not going to get involved. So like, well, Russia's not going to listen to us anyway. So we're just going to let them do it, which again, just kind of defeats the purpose of the League right there. So yep. they thought that by not getting involved, they were going to save the legitimacy of the League. By not getting involved, people looked at it that like, you know, what, what, what's going to happen? And then a lot of other of these small things that started coming uh, around in Europe, particularly all uh, the smaller nations, like they didn't really want to give autonomy over to the League of Nations for help. Mm-hmm. Um, so they had no choice but to get involved. And from 1919 to 1935, the League acted as kind of a trustee of these tiny regions between France and Germany called SCARS. And they became a, like the, a custodian, actually, of this area, a very coal-rich area. And it was allowed to, to uh, determine on its own which two countries it wished to join. Obviously, in the 30s, they decided to join uh, Germany because they kind of didn't have a choice, but it's a whole other thing. Um, but that's basically what's going on here. So a lot of these free cities, they kind of go to the League of Nations for dispute. And that's really what the League of Nations is doing. They did the same thing with Danzig. Um, they're doing these sort of like smaller disputes and stuff like that at this time. Yep. And what's also crazy, though, is like they're dealing with all these disputes and they're trying to, you know, establish their mission and credibility, but they only really meet in March, June, September, and December of each year. So they meet four times, right? And even at the meeting itself, most of the people that were sent from various countries were elder statesmen. Uh, These are people that kind of had already withdrawn from active politics, right? They're known diplomats, they're professional diplomats, but they're not like the leaders of these respective countries. Yeah. Nothing you they know, say is going to necessarily be held yeah, on to. It's, it's really not, right? Um, and then eventually by like mid-20s, European members start sending foreign ministers to these meetings. 
um, because it, it was even in the first three years, it was becoming kind of like a nothing's really happening here. No one's really taking this seriously. And it, to try to boost that credibility, that's when you have nations start sending ministers, like actual foreign ministers, so to give some authority and importance to this council. Uh, the main business of this council was political. So they dealt mostly with disputes that could somehow in, spiral and endanger peace. Also countless small problems that kind of rose around smaller peace treaties. And they did have some successes. I think we should mention uh, that they did exist. You have, well, that one big one, it was their humanitarian work, right? Specifically with refugees and prisoners after World War One. Yeah, they helped out. Right, yeah. So the, the League organized and really helped return 400,000 prisoners of war to their respective countries. They found homes for them, uh, countless refugees created refugee camps. It also did much humanitarian work. It dealt with a lot with tropical diseases. Uh, it created an idea of uh, nations working together to try to diminish uh, the drug trade around the world. Um, so humanitarian efforts, it looked at trying to get rid of disease. It created the International Labor Organization, which is a subcommittee of it, that was basically set up on nations coming together to brainstorm ideas on how to improve workers' rights and working conditions across the world and to combat child labor. They try to revive the world economy. They arrange specifically world conferences so that way nations could discuss tariffs and trade agreements. And of course, this is all throughout the 20s. Uh, you know, once 1929 happens, Great Depression happens, uh, no one's really talking about... Well, they're more concerned with what's going on internally in their country yeah. than what's going on everywhere else. But, you know, but up to this point, they're, they're trying their best. They're trying to do a lot of work also, like you were saying, with um, humanitarian work, yeah. um, protection of minorities. So they were doing um, in other countries. Uh, they had they did something called the Mandates Commission, right, which mm -hmm. got involved in tensions between Palestine, between incoming Jewish populations and the Palestinian Arabs. Um, they tried to get some peace, but it was kind of got complicated, obviously, when World War II broke out. Um, so they are doing these sorts of things. They got Iraq to join the league in 1929. Yeah. So they are able to recruit other members. It just doesn't work out. So they do small things. There's a lot of small things. They do handle some small disputes, like we said, but anything that gets the bigger disputes, they're just not respected by these other countries. And then countries that are in the league start to just not follow its rules, which we'll talk about in a few minutes. Yep. And that just basically leads to its downfall. Yeah, it's kind of like once you lose the credibility, it's very much like, you know, we're teachers, right? Uh, yeah. Once you lose the credibility in the classroom, once you lose the respect, you really can't get it back. It's yes. done. What do they always say? Once they see you cry, that's it. It's over. You know, and how many, times you know, you cry, how many times have you cried in the, in the classroom, Pete? Oh, just dude, all week. the time, man. Just this week alone. Just this just week, week alone. alone. Right? I don't know. It's been rough. This, I mean, it's it, it's just started. I don't think I've ever cried in a classroom. I mean, yeah, maybe like I might have like low key shed a tear at like certain graduations because I really liked that class, but not like outright crying. But no, going back to this idea of like losing credibility in a classroom, and that's kind of how it works, right? If you lose respect of your students, it, that's it. Other people are like, oh, they let those guys get away with stuff. Well, maybe, and that's kind of what happens here in the '30s, and. We'll get there. You know, I just want to mention one other positive thing that happened in twenty because the twenties kind of seemed okay here, like they're getting some yes. stuff done. It's the thirties, and like you let one country get away with something, boom, your credibility is over, and that's kind of what we'll get to in a second. But the Allen Islands, right? There was a dispute in nineteen twenty yes. between Finland and Sweden over some islands, and these islands were owned by Finland, but were heavily populated by Swedes. So. You have a dispute of who should take over these islands. And the League actually winds up settling the um, the dispute. And it settles it 
in Finland's favor because they're like, well, they're owned by Finland. You know, the Swedes that are there, they, they don't have to stay there. But regardless whether it was correct decision or it was not a correct decision, it did avoid a conflict between these two nations. So it, this is 1920, really early on. It's like, all right, this is going to work. There was a dispute in 21 between Poland and Germany. Yeah, you have riots. Uh, yeah, between German territory and Polish territory because Poland was recreated at the end of World War One. It was gone from the map prior to World War One. Um, because it was divided, it was partitioned, and it was recreated by the League of Nations. And some of the areas that were granted to Poland, you know, were once Germany. There's a lot of infighting. Again, League of Nations steps in, gets Poland and Germany to the discussion table, and Germany gets most of the land that was disputed, but Poland uh, is granted the land that it is granted. Contagious, very rich industry and natural resources. So it's like, look, you don't get as much land, but you get the good land. Yeah, okay. Everyone, like, everyone's happy. So things are kind of going okay. But then yeah. things... Then, then they don't. Like in 1923, that's probably where you're talking about, right? Yeah, that's where I was going to go to. So, so you have the, what's happening? Well, you have the murder of this Italian general, right? Mm-hmm. Enrico uh, Tallini. And his staff were there in Greece. So at this point in 23, uh, Mussolini is in charge of Italy, right? People forget he, that, right? They think like yeah, the, 40s. He, no, this guy's been there way before. He was there way before that. That's a whole podcast. We never did Mussolini, did we? We, we talked about him a couple. What a terrible yeah, end to a guy, but, though. That's a, that's a terrible yeah, end. end, but you could argue a deserving end. If uh, Well, no, no. I don't think we could argue that. I think that's a given. So, okay, good. I want to make sure we're on the same page there. Yeah, know, right, right, right. Yeah, no Kanye uh, <laughs> here. There's no Kanye here. All right. We're not making okay. any of that. All right. But um, yeah, he was retaliated by basically bombing and invading the Greek island of Corfu. And the Greece requests the league's help. They're like, listen, you know, that guy was murdered here. Yes, but it wasn't part of our government. You know, he's just using this to try to gain territory and stuff like that because Mussolini is outright this time talking how he wants to like bring Italy back to its glory, restore the Roman Empire, that sort of stuff. And he requests the League's help, but uh, Mussolini just refused to work with the League. Remember, they're one of the um, secure, permanent Security Council members, Italy is. So he's just like, no, there's nothing illegal about what we did. Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey, and we want to hear from you. The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads, but this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. We promise it will only take a few minutes, but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous. As a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. And yeah. they're like, yeah, but we have to sit and talk. And he's like, no, no, we don't. We didn't do anything wrong. We're, we're just defending ourselves. He's like, this is, no, this is not the league's business. And the league just kind of like went along with it. And they just kind of let him let Italy do that. Because again, they didn't have the will or the ability to enforce anything. So they were kind of like left on the sidelines watching, you know, as the dispute was solved instead by, conference of ambassadors and ally group um, so that all these other people start to get involved it just they did nothing they just they just couldn't and the issue there too is i think you just totally hit the nail on the head here you know they have no way to enforce it because these guys just fought what is considered at this point yeah. 
the worst, greatest yeah. com- military conflict ever in the history of the world to them. Um, one that was called and dubbed the war to end all wars, rather. Well, like, yeah. this is never going to happen again. It was that bad. In other words, none of these people, none of these nations, just three, four years later, are willing to commit themselves no, they're, or they're their military yeah. to any war whatsoever. Yeah. They don't They don't have the military to do it either. Like, they're, yep. they're, they're, no, they're, they're wiped, re- they're wiped out. They're wiped out. They're, re- they're rebuilding. They're, the population has no interest in going to a war. You think England's going to want to send troops to go fight a war in in uh, Greece? That's yeah, not this. going to happen. They're just like yeah. let it happen, like whatever. Just let them solve it. They, the whole point, also, the League of Nations is supposed to be a place where they can talk. But when one side is saying, "Well, we're not talking. We did nothing wrong." Yeah, they got like this is kind of well. The other idea was sanctions, problem. right? So the other idea is like the other nations are going to come together and somehow have some sanctions on this country. Yeah. But, but now you have other nations are like, yeah, but we kind of like trading with them, so we don't really yeah. want to do sanctions. Again, they're all rebuilding. So yeah. it's like, no, we're not. All right, yeah. you're seeing that issue right now still with like Ukraine and Russia, Russia with the oil reserves and stuff like that. Country like, well, it's getting cold. Like we need oil. Yeah, and, you know, you can understand that. So it's just like, you know, there's, you know, how are we going to punish our people for what they're doing? So it's kind of this like catch twenty two, if you will, with everything that's going on. And you know, you're seeing like the parallels. I'm not saying that 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 what's going on in Ukraine is going to burrow into like World War Three or anything like that. Yeah, what are you trying to uh, say? Why are you stressing children? Out? I'm probably I'm freaking. Yeah, children don't listen to this. Children don't listen to us. <laughs> children don't listen to us. <laughs> oh man. But yeah, it's all sorts of things. But you're see, you're seeing this happen, and like this, it, it just keeps on happening. Um, where more of these countries start invading other countries, and those countries come to the league for help. All right, Bulgaria asked the league for help when they were invaded um, two years later. Um, nothing happens, all right? The league decreed a um, settlement that was acceptable by both countries a little bit later on, so they reached some sort of a deal. But again, they didn't send forces in, and it just didn't, it just didn't work, all right? And, but they, they do talk to Hitler. That's something that you know people don't realize. The league, Germany was in the League of Nations. Hitler was there. He had no respect for it, yep. but he was there. Until he quits. He's like, I'm out. Well, they had the World Disarmament Conference, right, in yeah, 1930s, yeah, yeah. which was meant to, like, make this uh, disarmament um, a reality, but it failed when Hitler broke away from the conference in the league in 1933. So he let's talk about this. Uh, let's talk about 1930s, because, I mean, there's yeah. a couple of little, you know, failures that's, that's, in the 20s. That's the beginning of the end. 30s is the end. The, the, and, and, the real, yeah. And it stems, I think, from the fact that we have this, this world-shattering Great Depression, 1929, the world goes into such an economic downturn that it had never yeah. seen up to this point. And what ultimately happens is nations tend to close up and become a lot more nationalistic because it's like, whoa, we're trying to preserve our own nation. And there, you know, this idea of community, this idea of trading with other nations and sharing uh, with other nations, it kind of all goes out the window when you're, you know, one third of your population is literally starving and dying from starvation. Like that becomes an issue. Um, United States you know, holy smooth tariff, you know, we created the highest tariff ever in American history to prevent, um, you know, Americans from buying foreign products so they only help American economy. But the problem yeah. is all the other countries do the same thing. They pass these humongous tariffs. Um, so therefore, all of a sudden, we just shut down. World trade is shut down. And no and one's just, working together. No one's working together. And, you know, internally, countries are falling apart because of the world trade done. The companies are closing, people losing jobs, people are starving, and there is no real cooperation. So 30s is just a bad time all around. And this is also, along with, you know, bad economy, is you have what? You have the Manchuria affair, which we're going to talk to for, about first. Then we have the Abyssinia affair, the Rhineland 
um, which is really the beginning of the end, uh, Spanish Civil War. And then we finish with Munich Pact, right? I mean, this is the bam, bam, bam domino effect of the failure and end of the League of Nations. All right, so Manchuria, 1931, Japan increased their power tremendously during World War One, And what ends up happening specifically in World War One, Japan winds up capturing Germany's far eastern possessions, right? It works their... In- Industries at full blast to produce ships and munitions for the Allies in World War One. But after the war, the Japanese fleet, two things, find themselves to be the strongest fleet in the Pacific. That's number one. Number two, it also feels like, you know, even though they got a lot out of this war and they helped out so much, their industries helped out so much, you know, for to the Allied cause, that they didn't get enough back from World War One. So you have some of that yeah. resentment. Um, so they've believed that like, yeah, you know, they made a lot of profit for themselves, but they're not really respected enough. And then you have the economic depression hits really hard. So Japan searches for a way out of their troubles. Right. And basically the answer is we're going to attack nearby Manchuria. Um, so this starts this Manchurian affair, which begins in 1931. They invade Manchuria, rename it to Manchuko. And basically you have like a military takeover of this Chinese providence, is after they renamed Manchuria Manchuko in 1932, news is coming out. So the League of Nations, everyone's looking at the League of Nations, specifically China. China actually is the first country, because you know Manchuria being in China, that goes to the League of Nations and says, hey, are you going to do something about this? And the League of Nations, of course, right? Of course we are. So they condemn, in 1933, they condemned the Chinese, or rather the Japanese invasion, um, and they're like, you can't do yeah. this. And, and that say, angers Japan. Yeah, that angers Japan. And initially, what they say is, we're gonna do, we're gonna do these economic sanctions. We're gonna stop trading. The Europe, European League of Nations is gonna stop trading with Japan. There's only one problem. Uh, Japan doesn't really trade with Europe. Its number one trade partner is the United States of America in 1930s. And the United States of America, as we had already mentioned, is not in the League of Nations. So the fact that the League of Nations is like, we're going to limit trade, it really doesn't do much for Japan. And behind this is another thing that's crazy is Britain actually goes behind closed doors and they're like, we don't want to stop trading with Japan. We kind of trade with them too. We've been working on it to try to compete with the US. So Britain actually has this like, you know, underground meeting with Japan. And it's like, all right, listen, the league is going to try to cut down some of your trade, but like, we're still going to trade with you. Uh, Completely undermines the League of Nations. And, you know, Japan sees this as a joke and they're like, oh yeah, League, you're mad? So as you mentioned just now, Tom, they basically leave. They're like- They leave, it's a whole big, that you can see, they have the videos, like the videos are out there of them just like basically yelling at the League of Nations, calling it a farce saying, you know, you only care about something that affects you, like the European powers. And they just walk out. They literally just walk out and say, we are done with the League of Nations. In 1933, they leave the League of Nations and they continue the conquest of China. Actually, the second phase of the intervention is in mainland China in 1937. um, And their fight against China and invasion of China lasts until the end of the war in 1945. Number one, the League showed that it is incapable of enforcing any world peace. Like the farce was, was, was done. Wait, um, what would you think, though, Pete? Like, if the league decided to actually, like, so let's say they could get an army together and send it in, they probably so, could have stopped all this from ever happening. Like, what yeah, what but, we know happens. But do you think I, they would have even been able to send an army? See, I don't even think they would be able to send an army because again, thirty three, thirty two, like depression is hard. Yeah, but know? I'm saying, what, what if they could? Like, if they actually could get an army out there? Like, I think they could have stopped a lot of this stuff from happening. 
I mean, and there were the people one... that were saying we have to stop force with force. There were people advocating that. Maybe yeah. not in the league, but they were still seeing what's going on with Hitler. Remember, the, the, the Germans leave the League of Nations in 33 also. Like, well, these countries yeah. are leaving the League of Nations, so it's falling apart. We have to, like, stop them somehow, like, just stop these invasions. And that's really why China and, you know, those countries are asking for help is because they can't stop it on their own. They need these help from these other nations. We're part of the League. You're supposed to help us under Article 10. Where's the help? Yeah. I just, I just think it's rough. Like, you know, the only really nation that could compete at that time military power i mean remember the united states is basically no, disarming no, yeah. you know, it britain. have to be britain but even britain didn't have a good standing army at this no, point either there no. really wasn't we were not prepared for war in any way shape or oh form. no but no, no but the only ones that were preparing for war were, were these aggression nations yeah for japan italy and uh germany that was it and that's kind of that's a nice segue too to some other countries because this affair and you know this manchuria affair in 31 to 33 encouraged other european dictators to try to do, do the, the same, same things thing, yeah. specifically in africa and europe right so our next big test is 1935 and you know we're back to our, our buddy benito mussolini here yeah I, it's abyssinia in uh which is today's ethiopia ethiopia yeah so basically he wanted war and glory that's what mussolini wanted so he invades ethiopia and he wants to take that. He wants to take it by force. And there's really nothing that, that they can do. So Ethiopia asks the League for help. They appeal to the League for help. And while Mussolini is um, talking to the League, so he's actually negotiating with the League, he's still using that time to send in his army into Africa. And then the League actually says, well, his army's already there. So they suggest to Abyssinia, why don't you give part of yourself, part of it, to Italy? Which is class, this is just an appeasement again, you know. Well, give yeah. him some so he won't want more, right? Yeah. And Mussolini just outright ignored the league. He invade, he, you know, totally invades Ethiopia and he just takes it over and that's it. There's really nothing they can do. He conquers it and so the league totally failed there. But actually, there was a, a agreement between the British and the French secretly did agree to give Abyssinia, uh, Abyssinia to Italy, the Hora Laval Pact. They basically agreed to listen, I undercover will give this to you. Just, you know, if, as long as you promise you're not going to go after anything else. Textbook appeasement. It's exactly, you know, they're thinking we give them a little bit. They won't want more. And it's what is continuously done up until 1939. This is just four years away from World War II starting Yep. in Europe. And they see it. So once everyone sees how weak the, everyone, Japan, Italy, Germany, right, these aggressor nations see that the League of Nations is not going to do anything and that these other world powers are not going to do anything when they attack these smaller countries. By 1936, as you already mentioned, Hitler had already walked out of the League of Nations. He quit mainly because he started arming or rearming Germany, which was going against the um, Treaty of Versailles. And the League of Nations stepped in and said, hey, you can rearm yourself. You signed this pact at the end of World War One that you're not going to build up Germany. And he was like, oh, yeah, watch me. So he leaves the League of Nations. And then in 36. Uh, Rhineland was part of Germany, ultimately prior to this, but the Treaty of Versailles demilitarized this area. So basically said like, all right, here's this area, the Rhineland, which is on the border of Germany and France, and but no weapons, no soldiers are allowed there. Basically, like it's there, it's kind of German, but you can't really assert your authority there. But Hitler says, forget this. Um, he wants full control of the Rhineland. He's very much afraid that the French army are going to go into the Rhineland. So he takes a risk and he sends in troops to the Rhineland in 36. It's a complete disregard of the Locarno treaties and the Treaty of Versailles. But this isn't a war. He just moves soldiers into this one specific area where he was not allowed to move them. And now it's like, all right, is France 
Or are France and Britain going to make any attempts to stop him? And they don't. And this is basically Hitler's first version of like, okay, I like blatantly embarrassed he's, the League of Nations. He's testing the water. Yeah, he's testing to see what he can get away with, and he's getting away with it. So why not go for it until they decide to try to stop him? And then, you know, and obviously he takes it a step further when you have the annexation of Austria, right? The occupation of annexation of Austria happens. Nazi Germany comes in in March of 1938. Same premise. The, what's the reaction? Like, what is the League of Nations going to do when Hitler's armies roll into Austria? We should also mention that by then, Germany is, in the face of the world, one of the most powerful countries economically. The rest of the world is 38. The United States just hit a recession within the Depression. Like, things are not looking good. And here is Germany, rearmed, strong economy. When Hitler goes in and annexes Austria... Not every Austrian is necessarily upset about this. You know, I'm not saying they were all happy, but I'm saying not everyone was upset. Again, no one was going to going to fight a war over it. Either. Yeah, there's no fighting. People, he just took over, and you know, League of Nations again. It's like, what are you going to do? Um, and I think this kind of brings us to the ultimate final um, straw, which is the Munich Pact, right? I mean, unless you have anything before that. No, that's pretty well. You have some stuff in the Spanish Civil War they try to get involved with, but that's not something that we need to get into here. So Munich Pact. We're looking at 1938 as well, and it's it's kind of infamous. Uh, it's also known as the Munich Betrayal. But ultimately, the League of Nations tries to kind of flex its muscles again, while at the same time That's not really yeah. taking any action whatsoever. Well, this is all based on Hitler being able to you know take over Austria, and you know in March of 38, like you said. So he's looking at Czechoslovakia. Mm-hmm. About, about three million people in the Sudetenland, right? That's what yep. this all comes down to, right? With people, they say they're German of origin, and yep. he wants them to be part of Germany. And then they basically, more or less, right? This is the famous stuff where Hitler says he's going to march his troops there, and the League of Nations gets involved in kind of negotiating. Well, it's more of England and France, right? They're getting involved, and they're going to try to come up with some sort of deal here, right? Ultimately, what happens is you have the British and the French. Britain's there, but no Czechoslovakia. So yes, yes, I always yes. found that just being like, you're deciding the faith of this country when you're not having the people from that country there at all. So also, it's just showing like the failure that the league, because really this should have been like a league international event, but since Hitler didn't respect the league, he's like, he wasn't going to meet with them. Yeah. And this is the last final cop-out. You know, Britain well, yeah. winds up signing this peace with Hitler. You know, you have Hitler's signature well, yeah. stating that if, you know, if Hitler gets to keep this one area of Czechoslovakia, he the is done. Land, yeah. yeah, he That's will it. be done. Uh, no more. Basically, Hitler's like, all right, so they let me take this piece. So he takes the Sudetenland, and then shortly thereafter, boom, he takes over the rest of Czechoslovakia. And then he looks like, oh, what are you going to do now? Nothing. The answer is nothing. War starts in 1939 with the uh, in September with the attack on Poland. By then, there really is no more League of Nations. Uh, you know, no, its early they, successes are gone. Yeah, they, they exist, but they're not really there. They do try a few other things. They, they, I noticed in the 30s, early 30s, the Kellogg's Brand Act, when they try to like... Um, Outlaw, outlaw war. Outlaw uh-huh. war. But okay, great. But the countries that signed are not the countries that are waging war. So it's like, whatever. Once World War II actually starts, a lot of the League of Nations didn't want, the countries didn't want to meet because they were afraid it was going to start more war. That if yep. they met in other parts of the, in other of these lands, like they would get attacked by the Axis powers. Um, so the final meeting of the League of Nations was actually held in Geneva on April 18th, 1946. You had 34 nations attend it. And it was just basically a motion was made to close the session. And the resolution was that the League of Nations shall cease to exist, except for the purpose of liquidation of its assets. And it yeah. was um, voted in favor 33-0. Egypt abstained. 
And that was the end of it. And they, they declared that the League of Nations was closed. And a lot of these countries uh, still had some of like the uh, secretarial staff, but most of them fled to North America. And then by this time already in 45, before this in 45 at the Yalta Conference, some of the Allies powers created a new body to supplement the League's role, which became the United Nations. And a lot of the um, money and stuff from the League of Nations went into, I think, $22 million, which is a pretty decent amount, yeah, especially at the yeah. time, was transferred over and assigned to the UN. And the United Nations structure was basically designed to be much more effective than the League. So you had like the main allies, you had the UK, USSR, France, US, and China are all permanent members of Security Council. Um, they, it's much easier for them. They don't have their own army, but they're able to raise their own forces much easier. Again, because this time you're having mostly, I mean, we're going to say the United States is an active role in it. And there's no dispute that the U.S. is a not a major superpower after World War II. So they're supporting yeah. it and they're willing to send troops in, like you see in Korea, Yugoslavia, and some other options. Sometimes they're not, but they're more likely to engage and have these open sessions than the League of Nations ever was. Yeah. So ultimately, the League of Nations fails. Um, you know, its early successes are oh, yeah. heavily overshadowed. And, and that's, I think, you know, anyway, if, their success that like we talked about, some of them, I'm sorry to interrupt their people. Come on. What, 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 their successes were nothing major. Well, actually, when, yeah, and actually, yeah. Because if you think about it, I mean, if their major, we, major cause we, of like why they existed was to prevent war and war, create and world peace, they, they failed. Yeah, it failed. They failed. I mean, they, you can just say like you try a little bit and you kind of stop these small little disputes, fine. But none of those were probably going to become what eventually happens. But when you could have stopped. One of these major countries, Germany, Italy, a little earlier on, they refused. And it brings in World War II, which you can't say you succeeded when the biggest conflict in, in history of the world comes comes on your watch. And and this is where we need to get to the, to one of the greatest problems of the League of Nations, and that's pacifism. You know, the, the League's yeah. two largest members, Britain and France, literally were destroyed in World War One. They were not willing, Very, they were so reluctant to resort to any sanctions or, God forbid, any military actions to uphold and stop any aggression. Like they were just not willing to do it. And if the most powerful members are not willing to pledge their own military to stop any of these aggressions, right. then, then how the can you expect ones. the other ones, the small ones to do so? So I think that was ultimately the greatest problem. And, you know, historians believe that if America had joined then America would have used its own military to kind of flex its muscle. But at the same time, you know, if you look at American interwar period, we were so isolationist that we did not really it have wasn't, a military. It wasn't going to happen, yeah. So, you know, historians could say all they want, like if America had joined, I don't think that would have made a difference. I think we would have, if anything, vilified Americans even more for the fact that like we went along with Britain and France and and not done anything to stop Hitler. Things happen for a reason, as they say. But, but I still think it was a noble cause. It was a noble idea. It, the League didn't have any power to stop anything. They didn't have a military. It didn't... It had no teeth. No, it basically ha had no teeth. Well, anyway, guys, I mean, I think this was a pretty cool uh, intro to League of Nations, if I may say so myself. I'm a little biased. Thank you so much for tuning in once more. We do appreciate it. If you guys need to find us, you can find us at www.historyteacherstalkingpodcast.com. We are there to answer any of your questions, listen to any of your suggestions. Please just give us you know, any ideas you might have for future podcast episodes. And uh, do not be afraid to click that subscribe or like button wherever you do see us. Uh, we do greatly appreciate it. And we do appreciate any form of a review. So please, please leave a review wherever you listen to this podcast. We do appreciate that as well. And I guess that's it. So uh, we'll see you guys next week. Enjoy. Stay safe, everybody.
hope everyone enjoyed our podcast. And if you would like to email us, you can do so at historyteacherspodcast at gmail.com. Around 10,000 BCE, families and tribes of the ancestors to the people of Britain would arrive in the southern part of the island after crossing from land that bridged from Europe. The Welsh built houses, communities, kingdoms, and continued to survive through Romans, Saxons, Danes, and Normans. The language and culture influenced by these sources continued to change and thrive, becoming ancient and modern at the same time. Join me as we travel through the history, meeting the kings, queens, nobles, and everyday people that create and grew modern Wales from the seeds of the ancient past. Creoso, and welcome to the Welsh History Podcast.